We continue today in the book of Jonah, Deadly Sketch series. Uh, excited about this portion uh, today in chapter 3. God jumps into Jonah's life. Prior to this point, Jonah had a, a command from God to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go because his people were vicious. Shared about them a few weeks ago. Uh, so the Ninevites, the Syrians, were cruel people. They filleted people alive. They impaled people. They cut off their heads. They put chains around their, inside their throats and, and drug them into dog kennels. And God said, I want you to go to those people, the very people that were, that were Jonah's relatives, go and give the good news of God. He rejected it, said he wasn't going there. He didn't think they were deserving of grace. God brought this great fish and swallowed him up. And he, from the, the belly of this fish, Jonah began to to repent, and he was in the pit, and he came out of the pit. And now God's going to come back to Jonah a second time. And he's going to instill hope in him, say, you know, I can still use you, and I'm going to give you a second chance. Because our world and our world we live in, we need second chances. So God jumps in, gives Jonah a second chance, and we're going to see how that unfolds in his life. But our God is a redeemer. He's great at redeeming things, people, places, marriages, job situations. Anybody... Grateful for that today that our God is good at redeeming. He's good at redeeming. And he desires to redeem your life, your situation, your marriage, your home. Whatever it is, if you let him, he will redeem. A good many years back, a movie came out that was a classic when it came to comedy. It was called Dumb and Dumber, first version. And uh, it was just a stupid, funny movie. It just was. It's the best way I can describe it other than... Um, you just laugh because it's stupid funny. And uh, Jim Carrey is in it. There's a scene in this movie where Harry is disappointed in Lloyd, Jim Carrey. Disappointed that he made some poor decisions. So Jim Carrey tries to, to, to make up, try to redeem the situation. So he takes this van that he has and he purchases this thing I'm about to see. Watch Harry's response to Lloyd in this clip here. Got room for one more if you still want to go to Aspen. Where did you find that? Some kid back in town. Traded the van for it straight up. <laughs> I can get 70 miles to the gallon on this hog. <laughs> you know, Lloyd, just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself. I was <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a great scene in that movie where uh, I don't know if that's a good redemption or not, but man, it sure is funny. But that line has stuck with that movie because something took place that that uh, was that happened to the two of them, and he went trade in his van for that uh, mini bike. And he felt like he totally redeemed himself. God is really good at giving a redemption tickets to us. <laughs> and he's good at allowing us to recover and to make up for, for mistakes. And he's great at second chances. As a kid, I played a lot of sandlot baseball. 
And when I grew up, um, we didn't have as near as many traveling leagues as they are now, and, and we didn't have many vans. We had station wagons, and, and you weren't able to get to the ballpark with your parents dropping. You know, we rode our bikes, and we had to drive three or four or five miles uphill both ways in the snow. Some of you know what that's like. It seemed like it was worse back then, doesn't it? But I never complained. You would take a bat, and you would take a glove, and you would go to the sand lot. Literally, you would find a diamond, and you would play ball. And so during the summer, this is what we did. We played nonstop baseball. And there was a diamond that was nearby us. And I would get on my, my, my bike, my Schwinn Gray Ghost with the little tire on the front and the slick on the back. And I'd put my bat on the front and, and I'd take my, my glove and slide it over the handlebars and I'd stick a ball in my pocket. And when I ride to a, 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 a field nearby, and we would play sandlot baseball after we did chores around the house and pulled weeds in the gardens. I always talked my friends into helping me so we get done quicker. And so you would go there and you would pick teams and we'd take a bat. Anybody remember those? And you get up to the top and you get the first pick. But that was a long time ago. In order to have the equipment during that time, it wasn't as readily accessible as it is today, nor did it seem like I had as much money as there's available today. And so you had to, you had to find ways to get your equipment. And so if you went to a nearby ball diamond and I went to the Weston Little League where I played and when it wasn't time for me to play, I'd ride my bike there and I'd watch other games. And at the end of the games of, of these baseball games, we use wooden bats. And often during the games, if someone hit the ball on the trademark, it would crack the bat and the bat would crack, it would have a splintered spot in it. And so the coach or the manager of the team would say that bat is no longer worthy. And what he would do, he'd either throw it away or there would be a bunch of us lined up along the side of the fence after the game with our eyes peering through the fence and saying, can I have the bat? Can I have the bat? And so the manager or coach would take this bat and give it to one of us. Now what he thought was no longer useful, what he thought was no longer a bat that could be used by boys to play baseball I often took these bats home. And before I became a carpenter and built new homes for 12 years, I, I didn't realize that the different kinds of woods that bats were made out of. And so I would take it home and I would go in my, my stepfather's shop and I would grab an eight penny nail and I would begin to try to run it in, hammer it into this bat that was made out of oak or elm. And needless to say, to get about this far and it would bend. So then instead of trying to pull it out, I'd bend it over and I'd hit it with the hammer and I'd hit it until the, the, the nail itself was grooved as smooth as can be. And then I would grab some duct tape. I would tape it up like this bat is here. And I would take this bat and I would take it right to the ball diamond and we had a bat. We got plenty of hits out of bats similar to this. And we would dream that we would be Hall of Famers one day with the very bat that the managers and coaches found useless and threw them away. We found great value in them, and we put them back in the game. We took what was no longer good, we redeemed it, and brought it back into action and put it into play. That's what God does all the time. He takes situations, he takes lives that some say useless, worthless, fail. And we want to toss them out of our lives, throw them out of our past. And what God does, he takes these broken bats, these cracked bats, he picks them back up, he redeems them, and he says, get back in the action and use it again. So God is good at redeeming us. By the way, are you glad today he's good at doing that? So he takes what's been taken out of our lives, 
the opportunities to serve and opportunities to stand above. And he puts us back in the game, sometimes just patches us up and makes us stronger than before. And so today we have a story. As we look at Jonah's life, he was tossed out. This, this, this large fish came and picked him up and he, he ran from God. Would God go back after him and give him a second chance? You bet he does. And you bet he still does. And you bet he always will until the rapture occurs and he calls us home. Turn to the book of Jonah. And I want to show you a great picture of redemption. Jonah chapter 3. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. And our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Turn to Jonah chapter 3. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, take this one home with you. Bring it back next week. That way you don't need to raise your hand for next week. It's yours to keep. When you find Jonah chapter 3, stand with me and we'll read it together. Jonah chapter 3. Let's read this together. Read out loud with me. Ready? Read. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. You may have a seat. As we see in this text, Jonah, God goes back after him. And so what we know from this is this. In spite of your past, God doesn't give up on you. Look back at chapter 2 and verse 3. Chapter 2 and or verse 10. Chapter 2 and verse 10 says this. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it what? What's the word? Vomited. That's one of those words that you say, and it, it sounds like what you're doing. It vomited Jonah, I just took you to a really ugly place, I know that. And it vomited Jonah onto what kind of land? Dry land. One of the things I love doing when I see a narrative like this is try to jump in the middle of text and become one of the characters. Helps me feel and experience potentially on a, in a different kind of way what they're going through. So as I was looking at this text, one of the things that gets lost is details in this text. Now look at this picture. Jonah repented in the, bell, in the, the belly of the fish, he got out of the pit. Look at the next verse 10 says, and the Lord commanded the fish and vomited Jonah onto what? Dry land. You know what that means? That means that any large fish didn't beach itself. That means there was projectile. That means this, he came out of this fish and he was shot to dry land. He didn't land in water. It says he projected him to dry land. Now picture, if you will, you're a fisherman on the beach. 
And out of nowhere comes this guy out of the center of this belly of this great fish. Just picture this slimy, smelly, bleach white man from gastric juices chewing away at his flesh. Shrimp hanging from his body. Poster child for, for seaweed. And he jumps, falls out of this, lands on the beach and says, welcome, my name is Jonah. Sometimes we look at these accounts like, yeah, Johnny was in a fish for three days. Cool, dude. Tell us the rest of the story, Jim. This is miraculous stuff. I pray, by the way, that when you read Scripture, it never gets old for you. I pray when you look at Scripture, it's as if you look at it for the very first time and you let the Spirit of God allow you to experience as if you're reading it for the very first time. So here's this man. He was the poster child for sin and disobedience. He ran from God. He didn't want to go to the Ninevites because they were cruel, vicious people. And he knew in chapter four and verse two, if he went there, that our God is a God of compassion and he might relent and these people might all get saved and turn to to God. And Jonah didn't want any parts of that. His body bore the scars and effects of bad decisions. Three days and three nights in the the belly of a, a great fish. Can you imagine the perspective that he had as he landed on the ground and he looked at his own body and realized, man, this is what sin does to you, but God is about to restore him. The really neat thing about this is this. God didn't leave him there in the belly of the fish. God sent this fish to to rescue him. But the question is this, will he ever get past his past? Will he ever get over this poor decision in his life? That's the question each one of us has to ask from time to time, isn't it? Will we ever get past our past? Will we ever be able to come these poor decisions we've made in this relationship with this person, in this job place, with my family, with my home? Will we ever overcome? And the answer to that is yes, with God's help. We must begin talking to ourselves instead of listening to ourselves. When the enemy comes and says, hey, this is part of your past. This is who you really are. This is the people, this is what I know about you that other people don't know. You need to talk to yourself instead of listen to yourself. Say, I'm a child of God. I've been redeemed and he put me back in the game stronger than I was before. I received an email from someone here at Grace. I won't say their name because it doesn't, their name is not important. And it's a story of, of redemption, It's a story of a lady who attends Grace here that sent this to me two weeks ago after I did a a message on the labels in Jonah chapter one. And she says this, listen to this story of grace and redemption. She said, needless to say, I thought about labels we place upon people, our relatives and friends. Therefore, I wanted to share how I decided to remove a label off my previous stepfather. My mother has been married five times and needless to say, Husband number four grew a liking to me when I was 12 years old. He betrayed my trust on a summer night two weeks after they decided to wed. I convinced myself it was just a nightmare, but realized I was wrong when it happened again. The label was then placed as child molester upon him. It's been 20 years now, and I can honestly say, as I reviewed his photo off the Elkhart County Sheriff's Department website, his mugshot, I truly forgave him as I looked at him through the internet. I looked him into the eyes and my heart broke as I knew the pain he received while he was growing up. You see, he endured so much more pain than I as a child and at least I know God's love. My heart breaks as I now see him as a lost soul like I once was. My prayers for him 
is that he'll realize he's not been labeled child molester any longer. He's got a dad and a father that loves him, that has a great plan for him, and his life plan a good one at that. I pray the hurt and conviction is removed from him, as I know he's truly sorry for hurting myself and his stepchildren. It's awesome because, she says, at the same time I was forgiving him, I felt my label as dirty and unclean was being removed from me. It's amazing how God's awesome grace really is. Many blessings, a woman that tends Grace Community Church. That's a picture of grace. I'm not pretending that's easy. Nor is it something that just happens overnight. But here's what I do know. I know her well. She worships here. She worshiped here today. I know her well. And her life today is a picture of understanding who she is in Christ. And and she's risen out of the ashes and she's beautiful in Christ. And she's an amazing servant of God. And she, her, her view is this, she experienced freedom and her label as dirty and clean was dropped when she forgave her stepfather. See, some of us walk around in these prisons of bitterness and resentment and anger and we hold on to it because someone did something to us, against us. And the only person that we really hurt is ourselves. And the only person that's in a prison is ourselves. And we hold the very key to get out of this prison by just unlocking it ourselves and forgiving. There's power in grace. There's power in forgiveness. There's power in that story I just read of redemption. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Would God restore him? Look at verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. How many times? What time? A second time. Verse two. Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it a message I give you. You see, God could have stomped all over Jonah. He could have gotten anybody to go there. Here's a guy that says, I'm not going, God. They're not deserving. Just, I would rather die. And so the sailors throw him over the side of the ship. God rescues him and says, no, I want you to go and I'm giving you a second chance to go. I'm giving you a chance. I'm extending you some grace. Instead of calling him a worthless piece of junk and saying, you let me down, Jonah. You failed miserably. He goes back at him the second time. He opens up the window of heaven and he throws him some grace and he says, Jonah, will you go again? See, the world is longing for that kind of grace. People flourish under grace. You flourish, I flourish under grace. Boys become men under grace. Ladies shine under grace. Men become warriors under grace. Lost people feel reachable under grace. Jonah's confidence surges here. The very first words he heard after being projected out of this fish on the dry ground, the very first words he he hears are not condemnation, but grace from a loving God. Now, let me ask you a question. When someone has harmed you and wronged you in a horrible way and done exactly what you've asked them not to do, are your very first words when they come back into your presence, are they condemnation or are they grace? 
Obviously, God saw Jonah's heart, a repentant heart. And the very first word says, I can put you back in the game. Even though the bat was cracked, I have you take back up and I'm gonna put you back into action, back into play. God reached out instead of tossing to the side, he stood him back up and he used him again. He's ready to redeem. And Jonah, I believe in you. Let me help you. That's why I love Lamentations 3.23. It says, God's mercies and compassions are new every day. Not just today, not just three weeks from now, but every day. Plus the Bible is full of all kinds of stories of redemption. I mean, all the pages of the Old Testament, all the pages of the New Testament are full of redemption. Plus our God is a lot kinder than what we let, let people know he is. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. When you really think about Moses, by the way, just stop and pause a second and think about Moses. Now, here's a guy that, that watched one of his own people and one of the enemies of his own people. They were out in this field and they were arguing. He got so upset. He got so ticked at that he went and he killed his, the other guy, threw him in the sand, and he was a murderer. Meanwhile, years later, God comes to him and says, Moses, I believe in you. Moses, I think you should lead my people that I loved dearly and I want you to send them into the promised land. Imagine for a second, just imagine this, that we're sending a team on a missions trip here from Grace. And the leader was someone like Moses. Imagine the interview. They come in and they, they sit with the elders and they sit with the staff and they sit down and said, tell me a little bit about you. Why do you want to go to Asia? Why do you want to go visit our kids in uh, Cambodia and Thailand? I want you to lead this team. Imagine them saying, tell me a little about your back. Well, once when I was 18, by the way, I have anger issues. So I want to let you know. And sometimes I really flip out when I'm on missions trips. And just so you know, let the team know that I got so mad one time that I killed somebody. Just want to let you know, okay? Imagine, would you let that guy lead your husband, your wife, your kids on a mission trip? But you know what? God did. Restored him, forgave him because he repented, picked him back up, and he became a name that we know. And not only did he do that, he let him write the first five books of the Bible. (laughs) And he was a murderer, Or how about Samson, by the way? This is worth repeating, thinking about. This guy was so love sick. He was blinded by love. I mean, think about he and Delilah. You know, imagine, first time he goes out with her, he hangs out with her. So he goes out with her and and she tries tries to find out where her strength is at. And so she she has these people who are from her country, find out where her strength is at so we can kill him. So they go out, hey, where do you want to go out? Yeah, babe, let's go out. And so they go out and, and, and she ties him up and she tries to kill him. And so the next day, he, he goes and visits his friends and they're hanging out at work and they're sitting around at lunch. He says, hey, how was your date with the girl that you said was just beautiful? Well, let, let, me, let me tell you a little about her. She tried to kill me last night. She tried to kill you? Yeah, but man, she's, she's good looking. I, I, I'm going out with her again tonight. Seriously, think about that. <laughs> that guy was messed up. So he goes out with her a second time. And then she tries to find out where his strength is at again. So she ties him up again, and, and she tries to kill him. She calls in her people. They're ready to kill him. And, and, and he, he pops the ropes. And next day, he goes to work. Hey, dude, hey, you know, how was the date with Delilah? It was, it was good, man. Are you, are you still together? Yeah, we went out with her again. So how'd your date go? She tried to kill me again. You know what? I think I'm going to give her another chance. Seriously, think about it. And he does. But at the end of this story, is a picture of a man who... God comes in even with his plucked out eyes, even though he failed God miserably. 
He's standing. He said, God, let me stand between the pillars where the Philistines are meeting in the Colosseum. And so they, they push him. He works his way up the steps and he gets to these columns and he's a strong man and he pushes on these pillars and the whole Colosseum falls on thousands and thousands of Philistines. God gave him a defining moment even at the end of his life when he wasn't deserving of it. God said, you know what? Samson, you blew it once, you blew it twice, but I'm gonna give you a third chance. And when he did, the story ends with him being crumbled in the ashes, but taking down thousands of his enemies. God is so good at redeeming things. And I am so glad today. Back in 1991 in our world was a serial killer by the name of Jeffrey Dahmers. He was from the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. I remember vividly this account because our news channels were flooded with the story of Jeffrey Dahmers. Did some horrible things, much like the Assyrians. And so he was a cannibal. He, and he, would, he took 17 men. He would friend them. He was, he was a homosexual. And so he'd bring them back and then he would drug these guys and then he would kill them. And he would dismember them. Literally, take their body parts and dismember them. And he held them in glass vases and, and put them in freezers. And then he would begin eating parts of the bodies. And they asked him, Jeffrey, why are you doing this? He says, because I like to have control over them. He was obviously demon-possessed or controlled by Satan. Word got out what was going on. They arrested him because they found a kid running from his home one day, screaming and yelling because said, this guy's trying to kill me. And they went into his home and they found this bodies all over the place. He had his court hearing and obviously he was convicted because what he did was horrible, vicious, cruel. And so he wasn't, they didn't have capital punishment in Wisconsin, so they didn't give him the, the death penalty to kill him. They put him away and say he would be in prison for life. At his hearing that he was at, the family members of all these young guys and boys were, were, wanted to, to wring his neck. They tried jumping over people. They wanted to get their hands on him because they were so angry and rightly so. So he was a vicious man. He got sent off to prison. And while he was at prison... Um, he began reading the Bible and he began attending some Bible studies and he began getting curious about God. And so while he was there, he began digging in. And, and, and for a period of time, he dug in. And then one of the chaplains was, was there, called a local pastor in, whose name was Pastor Roy Ratcliffe. Roy Ratcliffe went and visited Jeffrey Dahmers for the first time. And so they be, long began this friendship together. He would tell him about God and they would study the Bible together. And there came a point in Jeffrey's life that he felt like he wanted to repent and give his life to Jesus Christ. So in a cell room in 1993, 1992, Jeffrey Dahmers surrendered his heart to Jesus Christ and he wanted to be baptized. So this pastor, Roy Ratcliffe, baptized him in the prison in a, a whirlpool hot tub. Let me show you a picture first of Jeffrey Dahmer's here. This is Jeffrey Dahmer's right here. You can see the hollowness in his eyes as he was being taken into the courtroom. This is Pastor Roy Ratcliffe here. Let me tell you what happened to Roy Ratcliffe as a result of this. Roy Ratcliffe was a pastor of a local church. And there were people in his community that didn't want him to go to Jeffrey Dahmer's because they felt like he was beyond 
being reached with grace. And they were angry with what he had done. So angry that even some of his own congregants, people that worshiped there at, at his church, decided they would flee a church to have a pastor that would reach that man with the news of Jesus Christ when he wasn't deserving him. His church not only was, had people who were against this, but people began to flee. He went down to a small handful of people in his church because his church said, you shouldn't go there. He's not reachable. Pastor Roy Ratcliffe is writing a book right now, just released, The Story of Divine Grace. He went to Jeffrey Dahmer's funeral and presided over his funeral. And one of the things that Roy Ratcliffe said, he says, no person on planet Earth is beyond the grace of God. And at the funeral, Jeffrey Dahmer's mother and father came up and gave him a donation for doing the funeral. So he took this donation and he bought a clock and he has it in his home and they call it the Jeff clock. He says, when he looks at this clock, it's a reminder that everyone, no matter what time it is, deserves grace. Here's a man that basically was shunned because he gave grace to someone that others said shouldn't be given grace. Jeffrey Dahmer's died in prison in 1994. He was brutally killed in a bathroom with a broomstick. And everyone but a few people in that community felt like he was deserving of hell and not deserving of heaven. But here's where everyone goes wrong. None of us deserve heaven. It's only by grace that we get there. So Jeffrey died in his last breath after doing all those horrible things. His next breath, if he was truly born again, was in the presence of a grace-laced God. Church, we gotta get this one down. No one, absolute no one, not your ex, not your former, not, not a, a friend that has disbanded you. No one is outside the scope of grace from God, nor should they be outside of grace from you. Jonah is a picture of God coming after him and giving him a second chance. Psalm chapter 103 and verse 12 says it this way, as far as the east is from the west, has he removed our sins from us? And I am so glad. Because if he, if he stockpiled my sins, it wouldn't be a pretty sight. Jonah is battle weary. He is tired. He's emotionally fragile. He has just spent three days at the Whaler Inn. But he is stronger as a result of it. He looked death right in the eyes and is about to die when this hand reached down from heaven, brought this fish, and not only picked him up from physically dying, but says, I want to use you again. And in verse 2, Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. In spite of your past, God can still use you, and I'm glad that he can still use me. Look at verse 3. What's Jonah do with the command when it comes the second time? Jonah what? What's the word? Obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. In other words, he said, try again, Try again, Jonah. Try again. I'm going to give you a chance. Get back in the game. Get back in the game. Try again. Every one of us needs a try again and a do-over. That great city of Nineveh, this was an amazing place, by the way. They have excavated and they have reports of this city. It was a city, obviously, it was controlled by pride and powerful people because it just did what it wanted. They were powerful. Assyrians had strong armies, large armies. 
They had towers, 1,200 towers all over the city. They were 200 feet high. The walls themselves were 100 feet high around the city. The perimeter of the city was eight miles around. Three chariots could literally ride on top of the walls of the city. The, the base of the wall was 50 feet wide, 100 feet tall, and it was just polished stones at the bottom. There were hanging gardens there. They were known for their palaces and rare animals and libraries. And a three-day journey is another way to say it was, took a long time to get across that city. I find this fascinating, though, that Jonah was physically ready for this journey. I mean, think about this. It wasn't as if he was, was in shape. He just spent three days in the fish's belly. I mean, you know, you know what it's like when you're tired. I ran a marathon. I, I remember standing at the end of that marathon and thinking, I'm wiped out. He just spent three days in gastric juices and seaweed and fish. And now he has to get out and walk around the city that's eight miles across for three straight days. And it doesn't appear that he stops. Look what he does on the very first day. Look at verse four. On the first day in the city, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Look at verse five. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest of the, to the least put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let men be, and beasts be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Jonah was no longer serving his own interests. He was a man on mission. His intensity probably could have been seen. There must have been something about Jonah that grabbed their attention because news spread like wildfire. I have a question that I, I want to answer to that I've never been able to answer other than it must have been God. Why in the world didn't they kill him? Seriously. One man against 120,000 people, all of his other kinfolk, all he had to do was look outside the city. There were the bones. There were the heads. There was his kinfolk chin with a chain in their chin stuck to a dog kennel. There were his friends all impaled to the outside of the city. Yet when he came, why didn't they just kill him like they killed the rest of his friends and relatives and God followers? I mean, wouldn't you think this little squeaky guy running through Nineveh with a sign that says, repent, repent, repent. Didn't you think someone just... I mean, that's what they were known for. Why was it that they didn't kill him like they killed the rest of God followers? Because he had the anointing of God on him. And when God is working through you, nothing is impossible with God to work through you. Nothing. He screamed for 40 days that Nineveh will be overturned. When God has his hand on you, nothing can stop you. It makes you stronger, bigger than you ever were on your own. The Ninevites believe God. It says that they put sackcloth. These savages freeze in their tracks, as Jonah said. And they, they, they begin to fast and mourn. In fact, they declared a fast. Now picture, it says even the animals and the beasts. I mean, even the king bowed. 
Lassie and Mr. Ed and Clifford and old Yella had sacks on them. Everything. Imagine Jonah witnessing this. Wow. Meanwhile, what do you think his own people said about him when he went there? Because not only did Jonah know what had happened to his people, but his own people. I imagine he received ridicule even from his very own. Don't go there, Jonah. Don't go there. Don't you know how your uncle died? Don't you know how your cousin died? Don't you know how your grandparents died? Don't you know how they died? Don't you know how they died? They're not deserving of grace. Just like it was in the case of Jeffrey Dahmer's and church people who said they were Christ followers. They're beyond the scope of grace, but Jonah went anyhow. It happened because he did not give up on Jonah. In his very worst moment of failure, God said, I can still use you if you have a repentant heart. It happened because Jonah said yes. It happened because God is a merciful God. It happened because one man spoke raw, uncut, clear truth and grace. And the reason he didn't want to go in the first place, chapter four and verse two, because he knew his God was merciful. And if they heard this message of grace and mercy, they would repent. And they did. Friday night, we went to the UP mall and we went into the Apple store. By the way, that's an incredible store. Went in the Apple store and you just sign up and uh, you're next in line. Friendly, everyone looks like they like working there and just, they all have blue shirts on. I like that, same color as ours. And there's just like gadgets everywhere. So oh, they had like one table of like 16 iPad 2s. I mean, if you're a geek or you're like tools, like, oh man, just lay on them. Just, <laughs> they're just everywhere. Anyhow, we had a clerk that uh, was helping us out and we went to the register and we purchased something. And while we went to the register, um, we began to engage, always look for an opportunity to share the gospel with someone. Doesn't matter who they are, just try to, you know, God, give me an opportunity. So we're standing there and this, this lady, this girl asked me, she says, where are you from? I said, from New Paris, Indiana. No, no, no. Where at in America are you from? I said, I'm from Maryland. She said, I knew it. She said, you have that twang. She said, I'm from Maryland too. And so we began to talk and Anne's like, oh, geez, here we go. Just, it's just, she was saying words and I was saying words that we understood each other. You know, it's like, man, it was so refreshing to understand people that, that understand words that you understand. Everyone else looks at, what do you say? And so we were talking and so we were engaging. The whole time we're talking and I'm thinking, man, here's an opportunity. So I asked her, I said, what brought you to Indiana? And uh, she said, well, my dad's a pastor. You know, like, I didn't want to show my face. Like, you know, just, wow, here's an open opportunity if she doesn't know God. I wanted to say, pastors rock, don't they? But I didn't. I just wanted, that's what I wanted to say. But uh, anyhow, we began talking, and she showed me this product, asked me I wanted to pay the two-year warranty for $79. I didn't want it. Um, and, and, and so we're talking, and, and uh, I asked her, I said, so is your dad, where did he pastor? He said, Walkerton, Indiana. I said, is he still? No, he's in South Bend now. And uh, so I just made an assumption. It's an opportunity to witness and find out where she's at. So I said, so you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ then? She says, no, I don't. I'm a Buddhist. And just all of a sudden, my heart was just grieved for this young lady, 24, 25 years old. Just grieved. And, and I saw her and I said, um, oh, okay. Went on to talk. I said, so you and your dad, do you, you communicate? Do you get along? Your father? She's PK. I mean, I got PK. He said, I want to make sure I'm raising my kids right. And so, um, she, she looked at me and she said, uh, uh, my dad and I, we don't talk. Oh, man, I just felt this weight. It's just, just horrible. I just, a daughter and 
father to don't talk. I said, where's he live? He said, he lives in South Bend. I said, do you not talk because you're a Buddhist and he's a Christian? And uh, I said, does that cause some friction? And she said, no, it's because of something else. And in that moment, the spirit of God laid on my heart, I believe, why they don't. It doesn't matter for this conversation. So I was standing there and I was watching this friction, this separation. And I was thinking, that's not what God wants. So I asked her, I said, what's your name? She said, Grace. And it hit me. His father probably named her Grace because he wanted her to be raised up and be a giver of grace and understand grace because salvation comes by grace through faith. And there was probably a father somewhere out there that sees his daughter that's running away from God potentially and wants nothing to do with grace. And my heart was broken because I want to say, you're supposed to understand grace. Salvation comes by grace through faith. And I wasn't certain if maybe he pushed her away because she went the Buddhist path. And I wasn't sure if, 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 if he, 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 she pushed him away because he was beating down on her because of faith. And I thought, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And I left the store. You buy something, not a lot of times they clap and you purchase something, which is kind of cool. And uh, um, so I, I left there and it's like, I felt this burden for someone whose name is Grace. And Grace would salvage and redeem that relationship. See, our world is hungry for grace. Jonah wasn't willing to give it. God gave it to him and reused him. Jonah gave it to the Ninevites. They responded and 120,000 people repented. Largest revival recorded ever in history. Imagine 120,000 people turned to God because one man said, repent from your evil ways because in 40 days, God is gonna come and he is going to tear this place up unless you repent. And they didn't kill him. They believed him. I wonder what God wants to do with you and through you for someone. I wonder if there's someone in your life right now that you give them the stiff arm. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a, a teenage friend because you're a teenager and they, they, they've done something. Maybe they pushed, you've pushed them away. And maybe it's, maybe it's someone from your past and, and you refuse to give them grace. You refuse to because you think they're not deserving it like Jeffrey Dahmer's was and like the, the Ninevites were. And meanwhile, every single one of us who know Christ have been a recipient of grace over and over and over again, but we think we dare not give it to some people. Not Christ followers. Christ followers dole it out, dole it out, dole it out throw it out. They pick people back up and put them back in the gate. Because in spite of your past, God doesn't want, doesn't hold back on you. Look at verse 10. Just look at this picture. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their what kind of ways? Evil ways. He had what? compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Imagine Goshen, Indiana. Imagine 30,000 people repenting. 
Imagine a city like San Francisco. Imagine the nation's capital. Imagine your family. Imagine your children. Imagine your wife. Imagine your husband. Imagine your school. Imagine your workplace being redeemed and and renewed by the power of God. Jonah witnessed a miraculous intervention of God. God is ready to pour out some compassion on you, and he's ready for you to pour it out on someone else. Give people a chance to repent. Who is it right now in your life that you need to call? Who is it, what friend do you have from school that you might not have told them that you don't like them and, and you've pushed them away and you've given them silent treatment and, and you just kind of just, because maybe they, they, they showed interest in, in your boyfriend or, or your friends and they kind of put you on the shelf. Who is it right now in your life that you have placed on the shelf purposely, maybe no one else, that God says you need to go to them and say, I love you, I forgive you. Who is it right now that you need to give a phone call to, send a text to, who is it? Who is it like this lady that I read today who looked at the face of this molester and said, I forgive you. Who is it that needs grace and needs to be redeemed? The Syrians had never experienced anything like this. They repented and God said, you're forgiven. God, help us today. Help us to be people of grace. Help us to understand what it means to receive it and to give it. God, there are people in projects and relationships and marriages and workplaces that need a stamp of grace. God, you're so good at making beautiful things out of the ashes of our lives. God, this story just blows my mind. I pray, God, that you would use us this week to reach out to those who need some grace God, you promised that you're able to and will do if people repent and turn to you to make something useful out of their lives and turn it into good. Jesus, help us to wrap our minds around that you are good at making beautiful things out of screw-ups and mess-ups. Give us your heart today, please, God. In Jesus' name, amen.